Thanks for listening to the Mornings with Carmen LaBerge podcast, made available thanks to support from listeners just like you. Helping you wake up, remembering this is our Father's world. This is Mornings with Carmen LaBerge on Faith Radio. If we're gonna fly, we fly like eagles, arms out wide. If we're gonna fear, we fear no evil. We will rise by your power. We will go by your spirit. We are bold. If we're gonna stand, we stand as giants. If we're gonna walk, we walk as lions. Well, good morning again. It's hour two of Mornings with Carmen here on the Faith Radio Network. Happy Thanksgiving Eve. If you missed the first hour, encourage you to go back and grab it later today at MyFaithRadio.com or wherever you download your podcasts. You should subscribe. Like, that's an encouragement. Go ahead and subscribe to Mornings with Carmen. Um, All right. Are you eating in or out this week? Uh, relatively high percentage of Americans are actually going to eat at least a portion of their meal or meals out this um, holiday weekend. And why is that? Well, because when you add it all up, it actually, it costs more to uh, make, make it all at home. There you go. In terms of going and, you know, gathering the items and then the time that it takes to make them and the energy required to, uh, to make them and then clean up and all of that. uh, And the cost just the cost of the food itself. So there you go. Apparently cheaper this year in many places for many people to eat out. So there you go. Um, Home for the holidays. College students coming home for the holidays. Uh, I am going to be spending today um, and a portion of tomorrow with some who are home from college for the first time, some who will be home from college. You know, they've been there a year, but, you know, this is the first time their home this semester. So particularly those of you who are going to be spending time with uh, with kids who are home from college, who've just been there for their freshman year, like the beginning of their freshman year, love for you to ask them, hey, is there like a course that all first year students take at your college or university? Um, what's What's going on in that course? Because across the country, one of the things that's happening, and again, you're going to have to ask this question with like open-ended. This is an open-ended question, people. This is not a furrowed brow, get ready to pounce on uh, your college freshman. This is an open-ended question. Hey, is there like a freshman course that's mandatory mandatory for all first-year students at your college or university? Here's why I'm asking. Because there's a course out there called um, UNIV. So like, right, it's University 101, first-year experience. And it includes this exercise called the Privilege Checklist. Um, and it's, uh, it, it's highlighted in an article that I'm looking at at campusreform.org. Um, the, the version of it at the University of Delaware is what's highlighted here. But it's actually something offered in colleges and universities across the country. And I say offered, but it's actually required. And the Privilege Checklist uh, consists of a series of statements that students ask themselves, and then you check them off, right? Subsections include... Um, white race, ethnicity, cultural privilege, cisgender privilege, sexuality privilege, male masculine privilege, a lot of of privilege categories, right? And it's a way of getting people to think about themselves and those around them, but it's also certainly getting them to think in a particular direction. Um, And it's a pass-fail class, um, and you can imagine what you have to 
uh, recognize about yourself uh, in order to pass and all the things that might lead to you failing such a class on diversity, equity, inclusion, and privilege. Um, it's a good conversation to have with your um, with your student. And if, because, you know, let's face it, if, if you've sent them to a public university, they're, they are in this, they are in this mix. Um, and it doesn't help to rail against it. We have to prepare them for the conversations that they are a part of and things that are being required of them in those academic settings and environments. So just ask them, open-ended question, hey, is there a university-wide class, a first-year class that all first-year students are required to take? And if so, what's your experience in that class? Um, What's going on in there? Anything in there you want to talk about? Um, Be open-ended. Be, you know, be open to what your college students are bringing home. Um, we don't want to shut them down. We want to open them up in conversation with us. Hey, next up, we're going to talk with Heather Geiger. Uh, Heather Zeiger. She is going to bring us news about the Artemis mission. Yep, to the moon and beyond. That's up next here on Mornings with Carmen. Heather Zeiger is back. She's a science writer. You can find her at heatherzeiger.com. Happy Thanksgiving Eve, Heather. Happy Thanksgiving to you too, Carmen. All right. So we are asking everyone today, do you have a favorite pie or if not a pie, a favorite Thanksgiving side? So every Thanksgiving I eat pumpkin pie, but I have to admit apple pie is my favorite overall pie. So, okay, sorry to now, give you a complicated the, answer there. No, in the apple pie family, there uh, there's a lot of variety. Can you describe to us more completely your preferred apple pie? Yes. I like an apple pie that has either uh, two, so a cover on the pie. So you've got a good mm-hmm. solid pie or a lattice look to the pie. And it's lots of cinnamon, absolutely no cheese. I don't know why people yeah. put cheese on apple pie, but I don't either. Do. And mm-hmm. I like a strong cinnamon flavor to it. Mm-hmm. Do you like your apples to be fairly big? Like the pieces of apple I find can can change my experience of the pie. I'm a really like lots of apple, big pieces of apple pie person. I think uh, big pieces. I, mm-hmm. That's when I when I imagine my favorite apple pies. It's big pieces. Mm-hmm. Yeah. All right, now we're all hungry. Um, and do you have that with ice cream or with whipped cream? I think that of the pies out there, apple pie is one that demands ice cream. So many other pies are okay with whipped cream, but this one feels like it needs it needs ice cream. Yeah, I'm with you on that. Usually I'm just whipped cream, but with apple pie, if we have cinnamon ice cream, perfect. Mm, mm-hmm. You could go to your local Mexican restaurant. They likely have cinnamon ice cream if you don't know how to make it yourself. <clears throat> There you go. That'll be my two cents on on that today. All right, Heather, um, let's talk about the Artemis mission. For those people who don't know, I mean, this is a pretty big deal. 
Yeah, so this is pretty exciting. And keep in mind that this mission was delayed, first of all, because of COVID. And then there were two other launches that had to be uh, abandoned because of technical issues. So finally, on November 16th, the Artemis 1 mission launched from Kennedy Space Station, uh, Space Center in Florida. And this is exciting because this rocket system, the SLS or Space Launch Rocket System, is the most powerful rocket to ever go into space. And the idea is that we can eventually uh, go farther into space than just the moon. So maybe even Mars one day. So they are testing, and this is an unmanned um, mission right now. They're just testing the whole system, seeing how it works. And right now, everything is going very well. They're very excited. Everything is going exactly as planned. Um, apparently, they want to have people living on a moon base within this decade. That that seems a little crazy to me, but apparently, you know, nothing is outside of our reach anymore. Yeah, so they're wanting to have a type of moon base because the idea is that if you do go further into space, you want to use the moon as a kind of a, a gravity trajectory point. So they want some sort of moon base. And yeah, you know, of course, I think in my head, things like Star Trek or whatever, where you're like living on this <laughs> mm-hmm. big base. But uh, uh, that probably won't be constructed for a long time. Um for now, they're hoping to have an eventual manned uh, flight to the moon in, I think they said, 2025. This current one, and this is a fun fact, Carmen, the, this current one is unmanned, but they do have a plush Snoopy in a spacesuit that is on that is on the, the uh, on the spaceship. Oh, and because we're partnering with the European Space Agency, they have a plush Sean the Lamb, so that whenever we look at the cameras and you see the zero G, you can see them floating around and... So it's unmanned, but Snoopy and Sean are on there. Okay, I love that. That's hilarious. Yeah. That's so great. Yeah. We're going to continue our conversation with Heather Zeiger in just a moment. She's going to explain why I'm going to need a nap on Thanksgiving afternoon. Yep, I'm going to need a nap. Are you going to need a nap? Why? Don't you want to know why? That's up next here on Mornings with Carmen. Hey, did you hear the news recently? There are now 8 billion people in the world. My name's Carmen LaBerge. I am one of them, and so are you. So let's all praise the Lord. Here at Faith Radio, we are telling the whole world about Jesus and helping believers live out their faith every day. If you'd like to help us do that, you're still needed. Your financial support changes lives. You can make a difference with your gift right now at MyFaithRadio.com. Help us reach the world for Jesus Christ. All right, that sounds like a dance, Paul. That's good music right there for Thanksgiving. Need the exercise, you know. Yeah, man. All right. Getting a little exercise is going to be a good plan um, to add into your turkey plans. Heather Zeiger is with us. She's a science writer. Um, Heather, can you explain to me why I'm going to need a nap tomorrow afternoon and maybe why I ought to actually like get out and take a walk instead? Yeah, so uh, a lot of people think that it's because of the turkey and because of that amino acid called tryptophan that you get so tired, but that's actually not true. It is true turkey has tryptophan in it, um, but probably you're tired because of all the carbs you've been eating. So it turns out all of the sides that we all love uh, Mm -hmm. have a lot of carbs, 
And so that's going to affect your insulin and that's going to make you tired. And then, of course, if you're going to have a piece of pie or two, then that's going to affect your blood sugar and that's going to make you tired. And if you happen to be one of those that has a beer during the game, that's going to make you tired. So probably your best bet is to not get seconds or thirds on your casserole. Instead, pack up some leftovers and maybe go for a walk or toss the football after you eat just to just to get the blood flowing. Yeah. So today we've learned that turkey doesn't is not the culprit that makes us tired. And yesterday we learned that red meat is not actually contributing to to. Uh, many bad things either. Like, I, I just, we're, I tell you what, um, yeah, we're learning a lot. Um, talk with us about molten salt reactors. And let me just confess, I know nothing. Okay. <laughs> yeah. So, well, thankfully here, the name, the name is actually descriptive. So it's, it, it's, uh, we're talking about a type of nuclear reactor that has been a bit of an obsession with scientists since the 1960s. So just remember with, Nuclear reactors, kind of how we think about them. This is a a way to have clean energy. So energy where we don't burn fossil fuels. It's a lot of energy that could power a lot of homes, provide electricity, um, and uh, would be cheap once you build the reactor. Reactors are horribly expensive to build. So normal reactors require water to capture this heat but that water has to stay liquid so it can transfer to other water that isn't as hot, uh, that isn't super hot, creates steam, moves the turbines, you have electricity. The big problem here is it has to be under a lot of pressure for water to stay liquid at high temperatures. And that's a host of safety issues because if there's a pressure leak, you can have a meltdown. So molten salt reactors, instead of using water to transfer heat, you have liquid salts. And when I say salt, if you're, if you're thinking like sodium chloride, like the salt that's on your table, yeah, I'm talking about liquid salts. Now these are combination like chloride salts or fluoride salts, but they are liquid at very high temperatures. Here's the fun part. You don't have to put it under high pressure. So that, that is a lot safer. And not only that, but the nature of how you can construct the, uh, the reactor is such that there is a safety mechanism called freeze plug. So it's the idea if the salts get too hot, they melt this little plug and then the salts then flow into a larger container and that slows the reaction down. And so this is a very good safety mechanism because it doesn't require power. So in the event of power failure, that safety mechanism is still in place. So a lot of people like this idea of molten salt reactors. And um, I think Bill Gates's group partnering with another uh, uh, utility group and then funded by the Department of Energy are working on a chlorine salt reactor as a possible way to provide energy. Here's the drawback. Salts are very corrosive. And we all know this if we, mm. you know, we know this anytime you're dealing with kitchen stuff or if you live in a place with hard water, you know, salts can be corrosive. And so it's really hard to come up with a, a container to come up with a system and an apparatus made of materials that will not corrode. So that's, that's the trade-off here. Okay, so, so very interesting. For, the, for those of us, no, super interesting. For those of us who 
maybe took a chemistry class in high school, but that was like the last science class that we took because when we went to college, we took rocks for jocks because it fulfilled our science requirement. So I'm not talking about anybody other than myself right now. Um, Did I like miss a lab experiment where we made liquid salt? Because that is cool. Yeah. So um, just having TA'd uh, been a teacher's assistant for both uh, general chemistry and upper level chemistry. You did not miss. You did not miss okay. that because salts salts are liquid at extremely high temperatures. We're talking okay. like twenty five hundred degrees Fahrenheit, which is great for energy, but that's really hard to get things that hot. How am I going to get the salt that hot? Yeah. So that's another, that's another thing is where you have to, you, part of the system, part of the apparatus is then heating up the salts. But the other idea is that once they're heated, that they can kind of, um, they can stay heated. Like they can stay fueling. You can keep fueling the reactor as it's going. So. All right. You yes, have me, you have me fascinated today like this. Yeah. Yeah. I, I'm also wondering that, okay, so this would be now, now I now you're going to, I you already know that I don't know anything about science. So none of this is going to surprise you. But when I watch these like vo- volcanoes erupt and I watch these like lava flows, I am thinking to myself, that has to be super hot. Can't we be using that for something? Is there not like lava options? Yeah. So uh, that's a, that's a really good question. I have to ask some of my um, earth science folks. I know that geothermal energy is one of those things that people want to want to get a hold of because yes, under, under the earth's crust, you have liquid molten magma. The problem is once you come to the surface, once you get closer to the surface, how are you going to keep, how are you going to keep that energy? And Carmen, this is the thing in like, all of chemistry, all of science is how do you harness energy, right? Mm -hmm. Whether we're talking about solar energy, whether we're talking about fossil fuels, whether we're talking about nuclear energy, it isn't just that the energy, I mean, the energy is all there. It's how do you harness it and then guide it? And that's, that's always the puzzle to solve. Okay. So apparently there are some nuns in outside of Buffalo, New York, who, um, converted like this huge um uh the 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 whole place that their order lives so i guess it's a monastery um and it and it's huge and you can imagine that it's not very uh efficient in terms of energy but they've converted the whole thing to geothermal so maybe we should all go hang out with these with these nuns up there outside of buffalo and find out what's going on that's what i yeah that'd be my I mean, right? We need it. We need like a road trip, some sort of like science activity road trip. All right. Um, COVID boosters. Uh, lots of chatter about COVID boosters. Um, what are scientists saying in terms of whether or not COVID boosters are actually going to prevent another wave of COVID? Yeah. So, and this is the issue with with any kind of virus, right? Viruses mutate. And even when you have a particular variant, so right now we're pretty much dealing with Omicron variant, that variant is going to then mutate. And so you can have a, a, a vaccine or a booster that's good for one variant, but, you know, it only, it only provides moderate um, protection against other variants. Um, so scientists are wondering and questioning whether the current bivalence, so these boosters are good for a couple of variants, uh, whether the current bivalent boosters are really effective against these highly contagious, 
but not terribly uh, seriously fatal uh, Omicron variants. And so there's a lot of question as to how much benefit this would confer upon people that are younger. We're talking people that are middle-aged and younger. Um, and part of that, and part of that is for a, a good reason in that all of us at this point have some kind of immunity, right? It's still, mm. it's still a SARS-CoV-2 virus, which means our immune system has learned something about it, whether through vaccines or through infection or both. Uh, so we all have some immunity. So at this point, are the current boosters, which are for a different Omicron subvariant than the one that is most prevalent right now, are these really that much more helpful? And this is this is the debate. And there's just not there's not a lot of data for that because these subvariants change fairly quickly. It's just a good reminder that science is not a settled matter. And I think that's just a, a, is always a helpful reminder for us. Um, Heather, as always, thank you so much. Thank you for your patience with me. Thank you for your grace. You guys can find Heather Zeiger online at heatherzeiger.com and at bioethics.com. You're listening to Mornings with Carmen. I'm Carmen LaBurge. This is Faith Radio. There's a happy feeling nothing in this world can buy When they pass around the coffee and the pumpkin pie So a couple of weeks ago, we were having a conversation about the difference between being expectant and having expectations of others, particularly when it comes to the holidays. Do you remember that conversation? Uh, if you're just joining us, I'm Carmen LaBurge. This is Mornings with Carmen on the Faith Radio Network. Welcome. You can find lots of resources at MyFaithRadio.com. We'd love for you to join us and everything we got going on. It's all free because this is listener-supported radio, which is a good opportunity for me to remind you we are having a one-day and one-day-only winter fundraiser on Tuesday, the 29th of November. So if you've been uh, thinking about the ways in which God is inviting you to sow back into this ministry, maybe as an act of thanksgiving, maybe uh, in in preparation and expectation of what lies ahead for us in the year to come. Love for you to participate in our one-day year-end fundraiser on November the 29th. Uh, that will be next Tuesday. Okay, so um, a listener texted in uh, in response to a conversation that we were having here on air a couple of weeks ago. Um And she said this, I was loving the conversation about expectations versus expectant on my on my commute. And then I started to weep as I drove. I'm part of a faith based family support group who have loved ones struggling with addiction. Most of us are paralyzed when it comes to planning for Advent or Christmas, not to mention Thanksgiving. My son is struggling with alcohol addiction and life. And all I want for Christmas is for him to find Jesus in a new way forward. One of the other moms in our faith-based support group for families with loved ones struggling with addiction, um, she hasn't heard from her daughter in 14 months. Another has a son who's now in jail. Another family knows their daughter is living on the streets, bouncing periodically in and out of homeless shelters with their now newborn granddaughter. I have walked with two families through the loss of their sons to fentanyl overdose. The holidays are hard for us. Please have someone on to help us deal with grief and pain during the holidays. That's up next. Dr. Melissa Mork is going to join us 
We're going to grieve together. We're going to um, acknowledge the shared experience that we have um, with loss and loneliness and brokenness. We're going to face the holidays together. That's up next here on Mornings with Carmen. So lay down your burdens, lay down your Dr. Melissa Mork is joining us. She's a professor of psychology at the University of Northwestern St. Paul. You can connect directly with her at her website, Melissa Mork, M-O-R-K, MelissaMork.com. Melissa, welcome back to Mornings with Carmen. Well, good morning, Carmen, my beautiful friend. How are you? Good morning. Good morning. Well, um, uh, it's a day of preparation and, um, you know, lots of folks gathering. And I'm sure that the um, four teenagers in my house right now um, have (laughs) wreaked havoc in the two hours I've been out here. So there you go. This is what I'm anticipating. But there is pie at my house. My husband spent uh, half the night making pie. So I do know that. Um, We have invited you here today in response to not just one listener, but we're using this one listener as an exemplar of so many others, so many families struggling um, not ju- not just during this holiday season, but they struggle all the time. But the holidays yeah. somehow make it much more acute. Um, yes. Can we just talk today about facing the holidays, you know, amidst the brokenness that our families are experiencing? Oof, yes, please. It's a great topic. And it, I mean, like you said, it's it's not just the holidays. It's every day. And also, it's not all that rare. Almost, It just feels like almost every family has direct contact connection or is directly grieving a situation of broken relationship with an adult child or with an aging parent or with uh, separation and divorce. I mean, there's just so many broken relationships in our families. So what a great topic today. Yeah, I know that Thomas is listening right now. Um, he has, you know, lost his relationship with uh, with his family. Um, Rick is listening right now. Um, you know, he he texted in earlier. I'm just really struggling today, um, having a really hard time. Um, mm-hmm. You know, and uh, I think that part of it is loneliness. Part of it is um, a little bit of despair about the future. Um, yes. Loss is real. Grief is real. Um, Mm -hmm. talk with us about uh, coping mechanisms. Like what are some coping mechanisms for us today, tomorrow, over the weekend for the next several weeks? Yeah. I mean, I just want to back up before I do that. I just want to say Mm -hmm. how grateful I am that you're calling it grief because that's what it is. I mean, Mm -hmm. and what most of us are experiencing in these gentlemen that you mentioned, I'm guessing is through no choice of their own and they are being forced into being separated from the person or people that they love. And um, maybe they have done things to contribute to the broken relationship, but maybe not. And so it's just so difficult. And I think part of the struggle is that it's not just a loss of hope and it's a sense of despair, but also it's a, such a loss of control over the situation. Mm. Like it feels like mm. there's nothing we can do. It's, and it's grief, just like it's we grieve the death of a loved one because there's nothing we could do. There's no reversing the situation as it is as it stands, and then we are just forced to accept it. And it is it is so very difficult. So I'm glad that you're calling it grief, um, 
And even if it is like, I think that there are a number of parents listening right now who are grieving because they've had to set up a boundary around the relationship. And so this separation or this, this is by their choice. Um, And that's also hard because, you know, how do you say to your adult child who's still your child, no, I won't come and bail you out again, or no, you can't live here until you're sober. Or, I mean, these are really hard decisions that you're forced to make for the benefit of the child. Um, But it also is extremely painful to have to know that your child is in a homeless shelter or sleeping in their van or is bouncing couch to couch when they could be very easily with one simple, so to speak, choice back in their own beds. So there's just so many facets to this, um, to the brokenness that you're talking about and the grief that we're dealing with. Um, and so back to your question, I'm sorry, that was a bit of a tangent, but I just needed to kind of no, address thank you for that, that this is, this is so broad. And I'm even, I was even thinking um, yesterday I taught on, uh, in my abnormal psychology class on the issues of neurocognitive disorders among the elderly, including dementia and Alzheimer's. And so we've got people who just really miss their parents who are so physically present on this earth, but abs- just emotionally and relationally absent. And I think that's what most of these, this grief that we're talking about today is about, is that they're not, they're not dead. And some were dealing with, you know, the grief around the death of a loved one, but often it's the, it's the death of a relationship, even though the person is still walking this earth. So it's definitely grief. Yeah. They're not dead, but they're gone. Like it's really gone. Yeah. So hard. hard. And so so your question around how do we cope? It's the same coping strategies as we would use if they were gone, if they had passed Mm -hmm. on. And that's, we need to process the grief work and it doesn't mean there isn't hope, but the work is necessary right now in the here and now we have to find ways to maintain our side of the relationship, even while they are physically uh, away from us. And so that means that we have to reminisce about the good times and Mm. remember them with, remember who they were, who we were in that relationship with them. Remember the good things, the lovely things, the pure things, uh, and think on those things because that is what's going to kind of put a balm over that broken, that wound. Um, And that's what I recommend for my clients who are uh, bereaved or mourning is to remember, remember the good times, remember the person fondly, but also the goal of grief work, Carmen, is to, find a different way to love them, to find a way to relocate them into your heart and carry them with you so that you don't feel so removed from them. Mm, and how do we do that? that. Yeah, yeah. How do we do that? We, we find ways to, for example, over the holidays, you, you maybe serve a dish at dinner tomorrow that they would have loved, even though they're not sitting at the table or you, you, Think about what would you get them for Christmas if they were here with you and maybe buy that item and donate it uh, to somebody else, but find ways to love them. Uh, For me, I write letters to my husband who passed five years ago. I write letters that I will never send, 
but they're letters of how much he means to me and how much I miss him and how much I love him. And I continued the relationship that way. But it is really, we don't want to say goodbye to that person. We love that person and we can't shut that love off just because the relationship is where it's, where it is. We have to continue to love them. So we have to find different ways to do that. Um, formulate the apology that you were never able to give uh, and that, mm. or that they, they won't hear. Um, but find ways to love them, even though they're not available to you right now. We're talking with Dr. Melissa Mork. We're, um, we're talking about, you know, how we as individuals and families uh, are going to cope and face the holidays, even in the midst of our brokenness and loss. Um, we do want to say, um, you know, what we're offering right now is encouragement and, you know, the 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 counsel of uh, Christian sisters in Christ. This is not formal therapy. So if yeah. you or a loved one are in imminent danger of harming yourself or someone else, um, we want to remind you, you can call 911. You can also now call 988. Um, mm-hmm. You can call your pastor. There are resources available 24-7 um, and um, and we want you to avail yourself of those resources. Um, so we're going to continue our conversation with Dr. Melissa Mork. I'm going to um, ask her when we come back, what's the role of joy and even laughter mm-hmm. as we um, as we face the, the reality of grief and loss in, in the midst of the holidays? That's up next here on Mornings with Carmen. Thanks for listening to the podcast of Mornings with Carmen. As you know, this is a rebroadcast of the live radio show featured on the Faith Radio Network. There is a lot going on at Faith Radio, tons of free resources just waiting for you and for you to share at MyFaithRadio.com. My guess is you spend a fair amount of time on social media. So where do you spend your time? Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, YouTube? Well, have you followed or liked Faith Radio on those platforms? I would invite you to do so. I'm there as well. If you want to check out uh, my personal pages, you could connect with me individually. We would love to have you uh, use the resources that we have produced and are creating and posting on social media for you to share with others. We got all kinds of stuff from graphics to, you know, Bible verses. I don't know. There's all kinds of stuff. Go check it out on your social media. Connect with us on Faith Radio's social media. And, you know, let's get the word out to others. All right. Back to the show. Again, thanks for listening. Love connecting with you at MyFaithRadio.com. When you come home, run through the door and into my arms. Dr. Melissa Mork is here with us today. You can find her um, on her website, Melissa Mork. Com. You can also find her here at the University of Northwestern St. Paul, where she teaches psychology, um, the normal and the abnormal kind. Um, <laughs> um, talk with us about the role of joy and laughter um, as we are as we're processing grief. Like they're they're so they're such close neighbors, right? Like it mm-hmm. seems like it seems like humor and grief are next door neighbors in my heart. Same. Yeah. You know, I mentioned uh, before the break that one of the things that we can do as a way of coping is to remember the person fondly and to focus and rec- and, and just reminisce about the good things. And for me, in my grief with the death of my parents and my husband and dear friends, 
the best way for me to do that is remembering how we laughed together, what they did that would bring a smile to my face, how I would bring a smile to theirs, how we played together and were goofy. And it, it's the best way I know to relocate them into my heart. The way I mentioned, you know, to love them well is to remember their best, the best self that they were with me. Um, and even the person who is still, you know, they're still here, but we can still remember the really, the fun, the joy, the beauty, um, and the laughter that we celebrated together. Um, but also, I have found that using humor, like finding it, locating it, watching things on YouTube, talking to people that crack me up, has been a way to help me set my grief aside for a moment and to just feel the levity that I need. Otherwise, the grief could just collapse me. Mm -hmm. And so to find humor wherever I can, find laughter wherever I can locate it is really, it's uh, that is where I find joy. And then finally, I think that, you know, we teach at the medical, at medical schools, we teach med students that pain has signal value. It tells you when something is wrong in your body. It tells you where to look and what to look for. But I think humor and laughter have signal value too. It tells us when we're going to be okay. Like when you, we hear ourselves laughing, we hear our kids laughing, we know, okay, they're, they're, they're all right. They're all right. They're doing okay. And so look for the, look for the places where laughter resides uh, and, and go there. That's so good. Mm-hmm. Um, if you're, if you're just joining us, I'm Carmen LeBurge. I'm talking with Dr. Melissa Mork. We are talking about how each and every one of us is going to take a deep breath and cope during these holidays with the many losses that we have experienced, not just in the last year, but you know, that, that pile up over the course of time. Maybe there's going to be a, an empty chair at your table this year. Maybe you're going to be sitting at a table alone. Um, and those are realities that you would prefer not to be facing. And yet we can, we can face them and we can face them together and encourage one another. Um, Melissa, I got a couple of, um, of questions here, you know, uh, in terms of coping, like, you know, somebody's like, okay, get outside. Um, the power of serving others, like don't, don't stay yes. home by yourself, go yes. and find a place where you can serve others or, um, creative outlets. Can you talk briefly about the power of, uh, of, po- uh, I was gonna say poverty. How about the power <laughs> of pottery? The, the power yes. of pottery, because this is a um, this is a dear, a dear to you, but also yes. might inspire others to find that creative outlet that really kind of yes. allows them to engage in a positive way with their grief. Yes, um, I'm going to use an example of that. Oh, I started to I learned how to do pottery while my husband was sick with cancer. And after he died, I used pottery as a way of uh, just kind of focusing my grief, but also expressing my self and uh, that relationship through pottery. And then uh, on our, the first year uh, wedding, the wedding anniversary following his death, I was looking at our wedding photos and I realized of the 16 people in our wedding party, only six of us were still living. And so I used pottery as a way of I made a bowl for every person that was still alive in our wedding party. And of course I just wept like my tears damped, dampened the clay, but it was my way of processing my grief uh, when I just didn't have the words. And so creative expression is, is a beautiful way to express our loss, but then also I make things that are whimsical and funny and 
misshapen and ugly that make me laugh. And that is also part of the therapeutic process of grieving. Yeah. So there are these um, really cool things in the southeastern United States. I mean, they go back a couple of hundred years, but they're called face jugs. And yes. I, I, okay, I was going to say, I encourage you to check that out because I th- I feel like you're like a face jug person. I, I um, actually make face mugs. I make mugs oh, with goofy faces and mustaches oh, see, I and love things that. on them. So yeah. I, I love that. There you go. You're already on it. Um, I'm on so it. Here's a, um, here's a question um, from a listener. This is about guarding your heart without being guarded. How do I tell mm. my story in such a way that allows people into my reality of who I am and the dark threads um, that give my life meaning without raising their eyebrows and driving them away because it's too heavy and too deep and too scary to deal with a new friend or a neighbor or a coworker who has, well, all that going on. Oh, yes. Oh, what a great <laughs> That's question. That's a great question. Oh, my Thank you. word. Yes, I think that's a great I got question. all that I, going on. I, same. I, yeah, no, I exactly. How, how do I not trauma dump on the, uh, oh, the grocery store clerk, right? Okay, yes. thank you. Yeah, it's um, good. So I think, I, but I think it's a really valid question. And I think what we have to do is identify very slowly who are the people who can hold this information in their hands, but mm. don't, don't, don't need to absorb all of our pain. They don't have to sponge all that pain in. Because, because if we tell those stories to the people who are deeply empathic uh, and they absorb all of our pain, that's not doing them any favors and it's not helping us either. So we need to recognize who is able to hold this information and hold our stories well uh, and still uh, do it with objectivity. And sometimes that's the therapist or your physician or your support group. And sometimes it's your your sister or your good friend or that person that has the shared story who says me too. And you, you locate those, you can find those people. Um, and you just, you'll be surprised at where, but I think it's such a great question because it cautions all of us and the listeners to, you know, be careful about who you share this with because not everybody can carry it with you, uh, but some can. Yeah. There's some, um, uh, we also have to, I think, become really adept at allowing people who cannot carry it um, to yeah. walk away. And, and yes. not be hurt. I have to not be yes. hurt by the fact that somebody just needs to walk away from my stuff. Like I get that. So yes. my, I guess I got a lot of stuff. I, I got a lot of stuff. Yeah. So, oh man. Yeah. yeah. Um, Melissa, thank <laughs> you. Thank you for your transparency. Oh. Thank you for the way you invite us to connect deeply with ourselves and with one another and with the Lord. Um, so thank you so much for joining us today. I hope you'll come back. Yes, please. Because we're not done. Okay. Oh, mm-hmm. I know. Yes. This thank is not fully co- this is not fully cooked. Yeah, clearly. <laughs> um, thank you. Thank you. Oh, and one one question as we let you go because I've asked everybody else today. Do you have a favorite pie or side related to Thanksgiving? Green bean casserole. And also, oh. I cannot eat I cannot eat Thanksgiving dinner without cranberry sauce. It's just a thing. <gasps> Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. There you mm-hmm. go. Well, I think you're right and righteous. There you go. Thank you so much. <laughs> blessed blessed Thanksgiving. You too. Thank you so much. Thank you. You're listening to Mornings with Carmen. I'm Carmen LeBurge. This is Faith Radio. Shoe flat pie, an apple pan. Daddy makes your eyes light up. Your Tommy say howdy. All right, never give up. Let's keep uh, praying for each other. I'm going to be praying for you today. You be praying for me as well on this Thanksgiving Eve. And I just want to close. Um, 
I want to close with a blessing. So wherever you are, um, find a find a posture of receptivity so that you can receive the blessing of the Lord. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious unto you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. Peace. Peace of mind. Peace with God. A peaceful home. Peace. 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 Not as the world gives, but the very peace of Christ. Happy Thanksgiving. The Lord bless. Thanks for listening to Mornings with Carmen LaBerge. Podcasts like this are available because of your support. If it's important to you to hear things that encourage your faith, click the link in the show notes to give now. And thanks.